Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Vircola, and we are going to cover the big stories of the week that have appeared at thisiscommonsense.org. That's Paul Jacob's website he's been writing for since 1999. So, this is for the first week of July, 2023. And the week that contains my favorite holiday in many ways. I just always feel good on July 4th. It's, you know, I guess... Maybe once in my life it's rained. I can't think of a time. It's always sunny and nice, and and uh, there's a good vibe. And, of course, in recent weeks, really since Juneteenth, we've been talking about how we need to take this two-week period, basically, from Juneteenth to July 4th and make it uh, time to do some good stuff for freedom and uh, get active. And the first two pieces of Common Sense with Paul Jacob on the site, this is commonsense.org, this week were about July 4th, basically, or July 2nd, or Juneteenth. It's really kind of about the the idea of freedom and celebrating it. Yes, and and I had more fun this, you know, there's always the, the temptation that you know, we don't have to do a script, you know, and, and it's a lot less work if Jim Gill, who does wonderful artwork at thisiscommonsense.org every day, uh, if he, you know, just does a nice meme that says Independence Day, and one of my favorite messages has just been to call it, and, and I don't get mad at anyone who calls it July 4th, I'm not a crazy person, but I just like to say Happy Independence Day. And I just love focusing on what this is about, which is not the particular date on the calendar, but the fact that somebody threw off a king and and didn't set up a new one. And it was a whole new world. And I mean, I, I think that it's so easy because obviously it's happened just pervasively for American society to have no clue as to how important America has been to the world. And and this is not to whitewash any crime our government has committed. Governments commit crime. <laughs> let's let's just put them on the on the board and everybody pay attention and let's not do that again and let's hold people accountable. But don't don't you Pour cold water. Don't don't shade what America is as the idea, and and of course it was the original idea of America that ended slavery. If America had been formed with the ideals of you know modern day China or or Russia or 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 in fact any other country in the world at that time they would not have ended slavery because they wouldn't have had the belief system to say this is wrong. Um, And anyway, that's, that's, uh, I really enjoyed it because we told some history on Monday, which I think is, is neat. And it's neat history because uh, you kind of get to see how things happen on, on July 2nd, which was last Sunday was the date that the Continental Congress passed what's known as the Lee Resolution. I was going to say the Lee Act, but it's really, I guess, the... And, it was the Lee so, Resolution, yeah. The Lee Resolution. And and basically, that is the body who has been given power saying, we are leaving the British Empire, and we are declaring our independence and uh, and of course, John Adams writes to his wife, uh, you know that that this is going. This day is going to go. In fact, let me read what he says because it's it's like you know it's like he had a crystal ball almost. Uh, I better put on my glass in case I get something wrong. Uh, to put on your crystal lenses, yes, that's right. Um, but he says the second day of July, seventeen seventy six will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty 
it ought to be Solomon. <laughs> I better get this. I better get this word right. Solemnized, in meaning made solemn. <laughs> so the creators of the language through that they they didn't think the curveball was enough. They had to they had to do more. Okay. Well, I didn't uh, look it up. That's just how I pronounce that word. I think I'm sure you're right. Um, Anyway, with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations, from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. And you think about it, it's like he sees that it's going the whole continent. That's a big deal because they're all they're all on the East Coast. So they don't even know what's on the other, you know, the rest of the continent, really, in a sense. And um, and he's talking about illuminations. And he, and he of course, he's 100 percent right, except he's got the wrong date because people went with the date. Not too surprising that it was announced and that, uh, hey, and it was written up this declaration and we dated it July 4th right here. And so, of course, we don't care when you politicians, you know, made the decision. We care when we heard about it and and celebrated. Um, and it's it's a it's a neat. We have a heck of a neat history. And and here's another part of it that I think is neat because um, you know it's just a, a coincidence. But um, in 1826, on July 4th, two of the key people. In doing this, Thomas Jefferson, who drafted the Declaration, and Adams, who kind of went, ah, maybe, well, can we change it? Um, these guys die on the same day. And Adams says, as he's dying, and they were they were political enemies. So, and they grew to be friends, but it was, I mean, they were as much enemies as, uh, you know, this is, this is like... Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, you know, who once were friends, becoming good friends again in their old age. Um, Adams is dying and says, Thomas Jefferson survives. And of course, the only thing is he's wrong. Thomas Jefferson, a couple hours earlier, had died. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, you know, just... Really interesting stuff. And of course, this is, uh, it's all free. It's all free at thisiscommonsense.org. That's the thats the amazing, the really, truly amazing. We give you this stuff for free. And I have another, uh, I have a quiz question for you and for our audience. And I just want to admit, I stole it. It's on the Jeopardy calendar and I got it wrong, but I was close. I, I thought it was one of two people and I got the wrong one, but um there was another president who died on July 4th, 55 years after the signing of the declaration. So you can do the math and, and see when they died. Um, which president was that, that died on the on July 4th, the 55th anniversary of, uh, of the Declaration of Independence? Madison or Monroe is what I would, I would guess. That's exactly what it, that was my thought is because when I thought about it, the, the the year really matters because there weren't that many presidents then. Right. And, and especially you're thinking who's old at that point. So I thought Madison and Monroe, I guess Madison, it was Monroe. It was Monroe. Okay. It was Monroe. Okay. These are the kinds of things that, uh, that if you go to thisiscommonsense.org, you listen to this podcast, you buy the Jeopardy calendar, uh, you know, life is, life is very good. The piece was two days and 50 years. That was yeah. the title. So if you go looking at the website, that would be what we'd look for. And uh, I was wrong. It's not solemnized. It's solemnized. Solemnized is sounding better all the time to me. I'm just saying. Uh, that's um, how I've always pronounced it. You know, re regular listeners of the podcast know that I can't quite say words. I mean, uh, I think I'm a great communicator other than that little little niche where saying actual words sometimes doesn't is is difficult for me. But uh but on Tuesday I have been accused of borrowing some words uh and the script on tuesday is called a declaration 
And I borrowed some words from the Declaration. And one of the amazing things about that is <laughs> a lot easier to, to, to get a, a script or a commentary done uh, and very little editing uh, needed. What was said was so clear and to the point that today it just jumps off the page into your heart. I mean, you just, this is right. This is a key principle. I mean, uh, all men are created equal, uh, that governments are only legitimate to the degree that they're serving the, the people who put them in place and are not violating the life, liberty, and and uh, right to pursue happiness that people intrinsically have. This is such an important document, and and uh, and it's important that people. I, I do think it's important. Like if if you went through life and you thought Thomas Jefferson was the most wonderful guy ever, a perfect guy in every way, well, that would be stupid because he was not. And the fact that he owned slaves, even in a time in which that was legal, we don't have to go past Thomas Jefferson to know whether it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. He was living with a wrong, not just seeing it in the world around him. And he recognized that. It's a huge contradiction. And of course, you know, now in the 21st century, um, we all live with the, with contradictions all the time. None of us are perfect. All of us do certain things. We've got one part of the country saying, oh, history's going to think you're a horrible person. And the other side is wagging the finger at the other direction saying history's going to think you're a horrible person. And my fear is that they're both going to be right. This declaration, like when I think of the Constitution, you know, a lot of people say I'm a constitutionalist. And I've always kind of felt like I'm a constitutionalist. Um, not that the Constitution was always right, but that the government darn well ought to abide by it. But the Declaration was at that time the most amazing thing, I think, political document ever written. And today it is still the most amazing political document ever written. And so anytime I think about Thomas Jefferson, just like I would think about anybody I think about what he did for me and and that's big. And and if I were a black man whose great great grandparents or however that goes back were held in slavery I would condemn him just like I condemn him. Mine weren't. I'm not, but I condemn him for that. But I would hope that I would also see the good things he did. Uh, in the same way that as an Irishman, I might look at some of the things that Great Britain did and think, those no good bones. But then I also have to recognize some of the good things they've done in this world and say, thank you. Um, you know, uh, Donald Trump, there's some things I don't like that he's done. Uh, but unlike some folks, Boy, I'm sure going to thank him for blowing up our relationship with China because, boy, it needed to be blown up because it was a one-sided deal. Um, I sure thank him for certain things he did. And I look at a lot of people in history that way. Um, you know, stuff has come out recently on Martin Luther King and and what the FBI had. Of course, they shouldn't have been following him around and surreptitiously filming him and so on and so on. But they have a lot of really serious dirt. Uh at the same time, the things he said in the I have a dream speech are absolutely valid. And I thank him for saying them. And the fact that he's not a perfect person doesn't diminish those words and those ideas one iota. Because if it did, there'd be no good ideas. There'd be no good words because they've all been diminished. And, and look, some are more than others. But we have to we have to focus on that. And and I just uh, I, I think this was a a fun thing not to do a, a meme, but to in essence uh, put out a part to where you know at, at the length of an average common sense script, uh, 
Thomas Jefferson and these other folks changed the world. They didn't just change America, they changed the world. And that change is still vibrant and alive. And, you know, a lot of us have at different times kind of said, it's over for America. And, and because there's no prize awarded to guessing what the future is going to be, that's kind of inconsequential. I will just lay out there that these ideas still move people. They still resonate. The idea of America, and I'm talking about freedom, is alive and well here in America, and it's alive and well all over the world. And it's just a matter of us figuring out how to hold our government accountable or how to throw off a government in lots of places in this world and create one that is accountable. And that that ain't no easy task. But um, but the ability to do it because the people want it, in a broad sense, not everyone, that is there. And we ought not to let that go. I wish that people would just a little bit more look at the rationale and the the free, you know, the first paragraph of the declaration is so wonderful uh, to explain, you know, why government and why they were doing what they were doing and why we sort of to indicate why we would do what we want to do now. I mean, what, what is it we're trying to accomplish? Well, you should pay attention to principles that are really important. And I, yes. I, I, that's, that's, that's a good point. I, I pretty much absolved Thomas Jefferson of his sins about slavery uh he you know he, he grew up in it i mean it's just like you, you when you grow up in a society right and you're changing it as you grow older but when you grow up you take what you have you don't get rid of everything at once and during the revolutionary war he uh basically went into some financial transactions with an inheritance and he was legally bound for his whole adult life that he couldn't get rid of his slave the option that others had and didn't take a few did but mostly most of them didn't but uh he didn't have the option because he was legally bound uh, by the terms of a number of contracts that he couldn't divest his uh, slaves it, it was also there were also state laws there were state lines, that, yeah. that created a, a it made it very difficult to do that several times he uh put things forward uh to get rid of slavery in virginia he did it once at least in, in, in a big way in the state of virginia and it failed by i believe one vote I did not know that. We should. Um, we I should research that again. It's been a many yeah, years since I researched that down. And we yeah. could even do a, a commentary off of it. <clears throat> you know, this came up yeah. in a podcast, and and uh, yeah, sure. That's that's interesting history. But it's been a long time, and not every historian treats these things the same way. So I don't know how many books you right. want to go through. I once read Dumas Malone's uh, history of uh, uh, Jefferson. And Malone, who, this is the most famous, you know, when we were younger, this was the, this was the, the go-to biography of five volumes, I think. Uh, and uh, he basically said that Jefferson was a traitor for writing the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. And that's not true. Historians themselves can pass over things and have weird judgments yes, that, yeah. that do color everything they do. I don't trust, for instance, Meacham. I have the Meacham biography. I don't think I trust Meacham at all. <laughs> the other thing is just, from perspective standpoint, um, I've been trying to read some Chinese history, uh, and and I've read like three books by the same historian, and I've got another book now, kind of of the post Mao period that is from a different historian. And you know, part of me is you know I'm one of these people. I'm still looking at how many pages are in that. I don't know if I'm. I don't want to lose heart halfway through. And, uh, you know, so I'm I'm the baby reader who's not, oh, it's 800 pages. Great. Um, uh, but but I I look at this book and I think, well, should I really read the same? You know, there's so many other things to learn. But I think, you know, I have to read uh, more than one author on history because otherwise, you know, you could be far afield. And and sometimes it's not the actual facts that change. It's just the way they're related together. And, and a little comment at one point in a history could be true, but could lead you along a totally different path than if you knew that comment and another one. Or, or if you just knew another one, you could be led down a different path. So it's, it's, uh, it's like, uh, you know, I've been asked, what, you know, what media do you trust? And it's like none. 
None. I mean, from from the standpoint of competence, we're all limited. But but that's not the standpoint we're usually discussing. It's the standpoint of of I've got a narrative to tell and damn the facts. I'll I'll tell you what I want you to know. And that's uh you know that's that's gotten awfully pervasive. And so you've got to you've got to kind of get the various narratives. In the last minute, you said things that link to the other three pieces you wrote this week. Uh, China's many res- Chinese China's many Rushdies. That's what it is. China's <laughs> many Rushdies was on Wednesday, and that's about China. And you were just mentioning China several times in the last few minutes, and uh, and for good reason. Yes, right? because it's so big in the news and it's so big on the planet. What does Rushdie have to do with China? Well, Rushdie, of course, is probably the most famous uh, Salman Rushdie, the the author who wrote the Satanic Verses. And in Iran, I believe it was where the mullahs called for him to be executed and the Ayatollah did and so on. And of course, that was decades ago. But just last year, Rushdie was violently physically attacked, massive, did not die, but massive physical damage here in America. And so this is and 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 what we're talking about with. China's many Rushdies is that they just declared eight former Hong Kong residents uh, to be criminals because they committed crimes like talking about freedom and peace. Well, they were nice people. I mean, that's a crime. Um, And these are people, you know, Nathan uh, Law, uh, other pro-democracy folks that that uh, have been have been active and who left Hong Kong because they realized, you know, I keep reading these things in the in and we I mentioned it in this piece that, uh, you know, they they talk about that people say the freedoms are diminished or whatever is like do a little research. They are diminished Um, and diminished is not the right term because it makes it seem like they're less. But you hear some freedom right here. There's no political freedom in Hong Kong. If you say anything the government doesn't like, you will be arrested and you might go to jail for life. And and, you know, we can. Oh, it's a different system or whatever. But but let's just face it. That's the reality of what Hong Kong is. And literally three years ago. Hong Kong was a pretty free place where you could say what you wanted to. And that's. You know, I I I had a, a I was looking in 2019. A little self-disclosure here. I'm looking for videos. Then we were doing, we weren't doing doing the podcast. And I was looking for videos that had to do with Tiananmen Square and the Hong Kong protests and so on. It was around that time of year, the June 4th. And of course, the protests in Hong Kong had just started going, it seems like, if I'm I'm right. And there was a a BBC News report of this woman um, talking about what's going on with the protests. And she talks about how she just feels bad that her students won't live in the freedom that she's always known and that they've always known in Hong Kong. And there was just something about the way she said it. I mean, it wasn't, oh, they'll be tortured and killed and and genocide. It was just, they're not going to be able to live freely and to say what they want to say. And it was just so, I was, and she was in the thing, she's saying it and, and tears are, are coming out. I was overcome with emotion just to see, because you think about it and you think about, you know, sometimes the horrific things that are, that are also going on are a little hard to place in your life. But I mean, you can just imagine, you know, you have a friend who's about to travel to a place where you can't. You can't say what you want anymore. You can't. I mean, you'd be just scared to death of what that's going to be like. And to think about that in Hong Kong and and the deal in Hong Kong, which I'd love to remind people, was that for 50 years. The CCP, the Chi Nazis, cannot clamp down and destroy all the freedoms there. 50 years from from the date uh, 1997, which would be 2047, of course. 
they can they can take away all their freedoms. They can beat everybody up. They can be rude and vicious and totalitarian, but not for 50 years. And they could not wait. And they were right in the sense that pragmatically they could not wait. The people of Hong Kong had enough freedom and they wanted more and they weren't going to sit there and let the clock run out on them. And the CCP knew that. And that's why they had to clamp down on it. Um, in the same way that you think about, well, why do they want Taiwan? And you could say the semiconductors or this or that. They want Taiwan because it is a shining example right off their shore, 80 miles, uh, of a free place where people of Chinese ethnicity are are beating the world are doing great and they're voting for their leaders and they're free and there's not the kind of abuses that there are in so many countries in asia uh and throughout the world frankly they have to stop it they can't allow like free speech or they the long-term success for them is not there and that's what they've done with these eight people we've pointed this out before and it's why they have these police agencies that we've pointed out in common sense all over the, the country. We pointed it out about six, eight months before in New York, the FBI arrested a couple people who, through those police agencies, are alleged to have been threatening and intimidating former Chinese nationals or current Chinese nationals who they want to return to China or who they want to shut the heck up. Uh, and oftentimes, of course, they use, they do this with the Uyghurs, you escape. But if you say anything, we're going to pick up your parents and we're going to torture and kill them. So it's, this is, this is what China is doing around the world. This is what Iran, in essence, did with Salman Rushdie. They came into our country and took out their enemy. And I don't like that. I don't like them taking out enemies in their country, but I sure don't like them coming and doing it in our country. And and it does strike me that at a certain point, and I'm not I'm not into some big macho, look, let's avoid war at all costs, but let's recognize we have an enemy, a country of 1.4 billion people, second largest economy in the world, the largest ever increase in military might in in literally a couple decades they have declared a people's war against the united states everyone i know who reads their stuff and understands mandarin says you wouldn't believe how much they hate the united states they are our enemy this is not a rivalry this is not a competition this is an attempt to stop a bully from taking over large parts of the world and telling your country and the people who live there what to do and what to say and what to wear and so on and so on um there is uh there's just so much to what they're doing there was a, a story i'm trying to think of oh there's a story today that i read where the u.s military has come out and said they will no longer support in any way movies censored by China. They're not talking about Chinese movies censored by China. They're talking about American movies censored by China. And of course, if you know anything about this, you know there's all kinds of movies that have been and are being censored to fit that Chinese audience. It's a big audience, lots of bucks. That's where we are. And we have to recognize this. This is not, and and how do we prevent the war? I think we say we're strong enough to stop you from doing what you want to do. And, and I think there were, were maybe years ago, we could have pulled out of Asia. We could have pulled out of Europe. Um, we could have pulled, we could have said, we're no longer policing the oceans. Because in essence, since World War II, that's what the United States has done: is police the oceans and a bunch of a bunch of land uh, uh, all over the world. We've got bases all over the world. You, Tim, other libertarians, myself, 
have always had a big problem with that. Um, it's a tripwire to war. It's a, you know, why are we carrying all this load? Who's, you know, and of course, one of the things that, that I hope will come out of solving the problem with China is solving the problem with our military and with our government. And I, I'm not pie in the sky that everything's going to be wonderful. Just, just you wait. It's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But we can structure things differently. And I think part of it is the, the biggest hedge against China in Asia is twofold. It's that the European countries are sending ships to go through the Taiwan Strait. Germany has, UK, France. Um, these are people who don't always get along. Don't you know? France, when we were doing different bombing things in in the eighties and in uh, uh, Libya, you know, told us one time when we said, "Hey, can we fly over?" Said no, um, and they were right to say no. I mean, what we were doing was stupid, but um, but. But that's these are countries who are they see the threat, and more importantly, countries in Asia, South Korea, Japan, Australia, uh, Vietnam, they see the threat. The Philippines, um, and so it's it's I, I do think that there's there's a lot happening to push back on that. But part of it has to be that the U.S. the U.S. cannot be the policeman of the world. The world's too big a place. We've got other things to do. Let's it, it, we and we've always heard kind of the left is always well. We should we should go to the UN, you know, before we go to war any place, or we should and we should get buy-in from other countries. And the truth is, I've never thought, oh, we have to. We're not legitimate unless somehow the UN, which is a totally illegitimate international organization until they give us the A-OK. -okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to start saying we want to keep the South China Sea free. We want anybody to be able to sail, not on the coast of China or on the coast of Taiwan, but in the international waters that, that are the Taiwan Strait. We want anyone to be able to sail through there. So instead of us policing it, why don't we work out a, a group deal, a neighborhood deal? I mean, one family in a neighborhood can take on all the role of defending the neighborhood. But what happens when maybe that that dad there, he's a big guy, he's six eight and you know, 300 pounds, but he's gotten to be 73 years old now. Maybe some of these other families in the neighborhood ought to help. And I'm not, I'm not saying the U.S. is 73 years old, our president's 80, but uh, but... But we need we need to recognize there are limits to what we can do and to be realistic about this. And I love the idea of a coalition of free countries working to keep their freedom because I think it dramatically reduces the cost of doing it. It dramatically reduces tripwires because you've got more people who are, even if one side sees some advantage, their ally is going, no, nah, I don't want to do that because people don't want to send soldiers into battles. And it's what scares China. They are increasingly feeling like they can take the US, but they can't take the US. And, and I think they're wrong about that in a military sense in Southeast Asia, just frankly. But that's people are going to disagree and there's no way to know and, until you fight. And that's what we're trying to avoid. But But there is, regardless of what the U.S. versus China is exactly, and, and it's close. It's a lot closer than it ever was. So that's what's got people concerned. It's a totally different thing when you add Japan on our side. Japan's a, a you know, it's the third largest economy in the world. It's not a, it's not a pipsqueak. Uh, when you add Europe, that's a lot of money and people and smarts and ability. Um, and and uh, Australia, and I mean, you keep going. And what's interesting about this situation from a intervention, non-intervention standpoint to me is that this is not the U.S. flexing its muscle and we're going to fight this adversary. This is the countries of Southeast Asia saying, please help. 
Please, you said you would, you know, we have a Philippine saying, you said you'd have a treaty. I know we've been moving in China's direction, but we just decided that's a real bad move. And we'd like you to, would you like some bases to, to base out of? Japan saying that we can, you know, do all kinds of things on islands that years ago they were kind of thinking, you know, we, we have you over here, we love you and everything, but maybe not. That's all changing. So this is not the U.S. you know saber rattling. This is countries in that region saying China has just done the biggest military buildup in history, and we're scared to death. South Korea wants nuclear weapons. This is not a country that's run around because they're so they want to go to war all the time. They want to make up with the North. They want China to leave them alone and Japan to leave them alone. These are the most peace-loving people probably on the planet, and they want nuclear weapons. And they don't want nuclear weapons because they're scared of us. And they don't want nuclear weapons because they're scared of Japan. They want nuclear weapons because they're scared of North Korea. And they want nuclear weapons because they're scared of China. And of course, people, I think anytime people think about North Korea, they should think China. Because North Korea doesn't exist unless China allows them to exist and helps them keep existing. So anytime you think, when we talk about we want China to help us with North Korea, they could do it like that. They won't do it. They like having North Korea out there as a wild card. You can kind of understand it from a strategic standpoint. It's not a bad deal for them. To have someone that, oh, well, they're threatening you, but I don't have anything to do with them. And somebody they could turn on and off like the like a light switch. So that's my view that that North Korea is China. It's it's completely controlled by China. And and so that's the 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 situation has changed. And so I, that's why I think it's in a in a it's it's the scariest place in the world in terms of a, a future war. And um, and I'm much more concerned about it than the Ukraine situation. And it's and I think it's it's a different dynamic today than uh, than kind of the Vietnam and post Vietnam and the Korea and the you know the the post World War II uh, period. In my mind, is kind of over, and we're in a new period now. And that new period has been caused by China changing. The military dynamic uh, uh, in the world. Well, that's three pieces that we've covered. You have two more. Censors canceled happened on uh, Thursday. We may have should have taken that that first, just because I think that's the biggest story of the week. Biggest story of the week. Yes. Oh, is there a big one? The Chinese or not the Chinese? The censors uh, canceled. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. But I um, thought of it as the biggest story of the week, so that's gonna so explain it. And and I may be maybe have a limb on that, but but it it was to me in a sense in that here is a federal judge, and there he's a Trump guy, so that's what they're gonna say. This is uh, censors canceled. It was Thursdays, and it's the judge who basically issued a preliminary injunction preventing the White House, the FBI, CIA, I guess, the Centers for Disease Control from colluding with social media and deciding that the evidence thus far presented causes that judge to say, one, there will be irreparable harm if I allow it to continue. And two, on the merits, I believe that the case is going to be successful to say you have violated the First Amendment rights of millions of Americans. And, and this is our government, you know, colluding to stop certain speech. He also made the point, it's very obvious what direction the government is pushing. It's pushing to silence people who say anything against the CDC. It's pushing to silence people who say anything about the Hunter Biden laptop. It's so that it's, it's not only uh, stopping people from speaking, but it is content driven. We are trying to stop this sort of speech and it is anathema to everything America stands for. And I think the interesting thing, which we'll talk about next week, I haven't finished the commentary on it, but we'll be commenting next week. The most interesting thing about the judge saying 
you're violating the First Amendment rights of Americans, millions of them. This is, you know, the opposite of what America is all about is for the news media to largely say this is horrible. And I don't know if the world can go on day after day if our government isn't colluding with Facebook and Twitter and telling them who to censor and what needs to be censored and what the party line is. This is, you know, it's the sort of thing that I think years ago, you know, you would have had five or six people in the room faint when when something like this was said by, this is the news media saying, not that, oh, we've discovered that the government's trying to censor speech. This is the news media saying, oh no, they've discovered that the government's trying to censor speech. By golly, we've got to make certain that the government can continue to censor speech. We want the government to be telling people what they can and cannot say. That's our news media. The way governments worked with private industry in the Twitter and Facebook and, and all this stuff is just a sort of an analog to what happens in China, how the, the Communist Party works with businesses. And and it's just an interesting thing that, in a sense, uh, we talk about freedom a lot and free markets, but our system isn't quite free market because of all the financial and regulatory and and the deep state, how they right. behave. And think about, from a First Amendment standpoint, the press is protected. But when it comes to radio and TV... They, they decided kind of not to fully extend the First Amendment and to have a government giving away the spectrum. And of course, they argue, well, we have to because it's a limited spectrum. All kinds of ways to do it that would be much more free. They want the control. And you're exactly right. Not only we have oftentimes talked about how they'd like to be the Chinese government, but they do some of the things, same things. It's the It's the degree that they can do them that, you know, at a certain point, People are much more apt to say, hey, wait, what's going on here? And there's more people who feel comfortable arguing and saying they don't like what's going on here than there are in China. That's the biggest difference. That's the main deal. And it's why when we find a judge who says from the evidence I've seen so far, and I hadn't read the entire uh, his entire opinion but I read parts of it. It's 155 pages. It's got some of the evidence in it. It's it's you know it's not written with crayon, uh, crayon as people who didn't grow up in New Jersey would say. <laughs> I've actually I never heard. Anyone, yeah, I know. I saw, I heard that. It was the first time I'd ever heard. Yeah, my wife goes crazy that. when she hears me say that. It's like crayon. That's not even. That's not the word. Yes, it is. You just have to say the a y o n really really quick. Okay, very good. Um, but anyway, crayon. Um, that sounds almost French. Um, and, and, and like I would know, but but this is a this is a serious thing where you've got the government colluding with corporations. You would think the left at one point didn't like the idea of they didn't like the idea of the government colluding with corporations. They certainly wouldn't like the idea of the government colluding with corporations to censor speech. Now they like it. And of course, now it's being done to their opponents. So it's okay. Yeah. Well, that's scarier than, than even the, it, in some ways you expect the government to behave badly. It's the watchdogs and the account and the public accountability that has to kick in. And I mean, if, if the government's perfect, well, that's great, but that ain't going to last. It's the, it's our ability to hold them accountable that is the critical factor. And, and I think most of us recognize we don't have much ability. We got to change that. In a sense, this is kind of between left and right or insiders and outsiders it appears on the Supreme court, but in a kind of a different way, because your Friday piece, uh, July 7th, it's a uh, Thomas and Thomas. So we are talking about two Thomases, two Toms. And also you're talking about uh, Ms. Brown, the uh, Supreme court, justice Brown, Catania Brown, how do you say her name? Catania <laughs> Brown Jackson. Anyway, she got in the midst of this uh, this kerfuffle on the subject of a recent court case. In fact, it's it's the one you wrote about the previous week, last week, right? Yes. Yeah. This is this is the the racism business uh, with with uh, Harvard. Yes, and and I mean this the the truth is they act like this is such a huge 
you know, change that the court has has made. But most people probably remember Sandra Day O'Connor writing uh, what I thought was one of her silliest opinions. Not that she didn't write some other silly ones, but sometimes she wrote some decent ones. Uh, but it, it, I always noticed that she only wrote good opinions when she was in the dissent, which is too bad. But uh, but uh, she said years ago when there was an affirmative action case that it probably needed to continue for like 25 years. Um, you know, or suggested, you know, we may need these these laws for 25 years or something to solve these problems. And and the problem I have with that is I could see a legislator maybe thinking, well, gee, how do we solve this problem? Maybe we need these laws for 25 years. But a Supreme Court justice is just supposed to decide whether the law that was passed is constitutional. And that doesn't change in 25 years unless someone amends the Constitution. So it was sort of like saying, I'm not going to abide by the Constitution here. I'm going to do a fill-in where I just decide what I think is best. And maybe you guys take a look at it in 25 years. I mean, that's what, what she did. She was a legislator about that. Yes, yes. That was just just the most horrible decision. And and uh, and the way that she got there was was worse. So but this this decision to me is not at all surprising. You see it coming. Um, and maybe it makes it easier that, you know, now because Asian students have done so well, the the affirmative action is racial preferences against a minority group and you know they're the the uh what what is the thing the uh, uh model minority um but what's silly about it is that this this is not about in fact this the whole thrust of this piece and the two thomases is clarence thomas who of course wrote the majority opinion or, or did, was his a, a a concurring opinion yeah, and it was mainly an attack upon uh, Justice Jackson's right uh, and and her dissenting opinion. Yes, really, here is channeling Thomas Sowell, and Thomas Sowell has been so strong on pointing out that when you look at only racial outcomes to decide whether a program is, you know, uh, racist or not that's completely racist to begin with because you're not looking at what any of the individual circumstances are. And he's pointed out how different groups that might be labeled black perform far differently. Uh, that, that immigrants who are black have done better statistically than blacks who were born in the United States of America, which of course most were. Um, and, and of course, all of these, even if, even when you do the groups that way, you're missing the individual. And there is, is the cause of someone doing poorly racism? Well, unless you know that individual and why they did poorly or not so poorly, look, some people are doing really, really well. Why did they do well? It can't be, oh, racism is a thing that causes exactly the percentage that do well to do well and exactly the percentage who don't do well that don't do well. To not do well. Um, that's ridiculous. And and of course, the analysis that is driving this whole discussion is ridiculous because it's racist in, in itself and it and it doesn't look at any factors. It doesn't want to talk about all kinds of causes for these things. And the reason to talk about the real causes, and in some cases, if it's racism, that needs to be talked about so we can fix it. So we can stop, like when people talk about systemic racism, well, where is it exactly? What they want to say is, if outcomes are bad, then it's racist. And because the outcomes are bad across the board, it has to be racism across the board. And because we can't identify any of the racism, it just has to be intrinsic and we can't even know it. Right. You know, <laughs> that's, uh, and and I'm right just because I'm right and you have to believe it. That's the argument that we're getting. And of course, there's a lot of people, to, you know, on TV and, and at the college level and in Congress saying, yep, that's exactly right. 
on these stories, oftentimes, you know, it's in the news, you're hearing other stuff, you might get my uh, commentary as an email, you might see it on, on Facebook, uh, and oh, I, I like that, but if if you're wondering where do I get that decision, if we can find that decision, it's going to be linked in our piece and, and other things like that. And, and so I encourage people always uh, to go to the website and hit the links if you're interested, because we're part of what we think we're doing. Look, uh, you know, we think our, our prose is, uh, well, halfway decent. And then, and then Tim punches it up and it's actually, I think, good. Uh, but, but we also realize that our goal here is not just to, you know, entertain you or inform you a little bit, but to, to help give you some of the tools to look into this. We spent the time to do it. We want other people who care about freedom to, to have a little less time they have to spend and get right to it. And, and I think a lot of times when I read these judicial decisions, I just know what, what's going on in a way that if I saw seven different pieces on TV or if I read the article in the Washington Post, I would not know. And sometimes it's not just that I know a lot because I read the 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 uh, actual judge's decision and I not only know a little bit because I read the Washington Post article. Oftentimes because I read the Washington Post article, if I haven't read the decision, what I know is not basically the truth. So... Um, so anyway, I'll get off my my uh, soapbox and say to people, um, I think we've hit our five scripts. I wanted to do one other uh, little promo, and that is to say that today, the today uh, uh, composition or whatever the uh, the the today in history and freedom, it's the seventh of July because on this date in fourteen fifty six, Joan of Arc was acquitted uh she was um brought up on heresy charges and um and she was acquitted now the only downside to it is that uh it was well i should have mentioned it was her retrial this was 25 years after she was burned at the stake so you know a little bit bittersweet uh but i one of the reasons it interested me is I've always loved Joan of Arc. And I don't know if it's just because, I mean, she's a swashbuckling pro-freedom. I, you know, I just, I love her. She's great. But she was also played by Ingrid Bergman, who is was in Casablanca and other movies that I think were great and who I think is one of the most beautiful women to ever be on the planet. So, and speaking of the best things since sliced bread, also today was the first sliced bread produced in America. And I think we, I think we did it first and it was, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's Chillicothe, uh, Missouri. Uh, it could be Chillicothe or something, but never, I think it, I've never been there. I've seen signs for it. I've never been there, but I've driven past it. How's that? Um, but anyway, what, what, what year was that? That was 1928. Seems like that's late for sliced bread. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, 30 years ago, I used to buy loaves of sourdough that weren't cut, and I would cut it myself, but I stopped doing that after a while. I went back to sliced bread. It's a time savings. Well, hey, uh, I think we've uh, I think we've done the week. We're in the heat of the summer, and lots of uh, lots of good things happening. Okay. 